this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Fantasy, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. This is your host, Gabrielle Matthew. Today, we'll be talking to Rin Chipeco about their multicultural YA fantasy, Wicked As You Wish, which is the first in the new series. Wicked As You Wish begins with our Filipina narrator, Tala, and her best friend, Alexei. They both attend high school in a small Arizona town of Invierno. Alexa has a few secrets. For one, he's gay, but not out. And for another, he's the exiled Prince of Avalon, hiding from the evil Snow Queen and her minions, which include the ICE, the U.S. Immigration Department. Want can't hide from the Snow Queen forever, though. Soon there are scary ice maidens roaming the halls of the local high school, hunting Alexei. Tala's family, the Makilings, along with her Tias and Titos, fight to protect Alexei, but have a hard time against enemies that also include orgers and the undead. Luckily, reinforcements arrive when the Bandersnatchers, a group of teen magicians dedicated to Avalon, show up armed with various cool weapons and quips, and the adventure is just beginning. This mashup offers a mix of everyone's favorite fairy tales. Hi, I've got Rin Chepeco to talk about their new series, Wicked As You Wish, is the first book in that series. Are you with us? Oh, uh, yes. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hi. Rin and I have uh, quite a lot of miles to cover in our phone call, but I've been <laughs> able to get hold of them. So I'm going to start off with the questions. The narrator of the book, Tala, has been living in a dull Arizona town where magic doesn't work. When her best friend, the exiled Prince Alexei, has to flee for his life, she joins up with a group of teens with special uh, supernatural abilities. They're called the Banders, which is short for their full title. They're members of the Order of the Bandersnatch. Can you introduce them quickly and tell us a little about the amazing weapons that they possess? (laughs) 
Well, okay. Uh, so, so first of all, I really wanted this sort of eclectic band of like rabble rousers and merry men, women, and not and binary and non-binaries, because I wanted to showcase the sort of people that I've met in my life, people that I love, people that I respect and that I like, and I sort of put a lot of their personalities in each and every one of them. So to start with Tala, uh, in in a book that's mainly full of magic, I wanted her to stand out. So I, the easiest way to stand out was to make her uh, the anti-magic person in the group, which means she basically negates magic. And in Philippine culture, there is this uh, sort of powerful object, magical object called the agimat. And that basically... An agimat basically prevents anyone from cursing you or casting spells on you. So I sort of incorporated that idea into uh, her, her powers also as a showcase for her Filipino culture and, and our, our history as super, superstitious people who still, who still believes in magic. And with Alexei, he doesn't actually have, he technically doesn't have like a magic sword of his own, but he does have the firebird, which is in itself sort of like a, a, a character of its own and um the firebird i've actually based more of my personality into the firebird mm. who is very sassy and kind of an asshole in a lot of ways so when when people usually ask me like who in who which character in this book is the one that's most closely like you and i will usually see the firebird and i i I like seeing their face when when i say that um and basically the firebird is basically flame based he it's constructed of fire and he sort of provides alex with his defense because for the most part he's pretty defenseless and when the firebird arrives he becomes alex alex tends to rely on him for his sort of magic and yeah, for his protection. And um, after that, we have Zoe, who has this whip called the Ognios, and it basically sends out electricity through through like the the, the lash. And then there's Cole, who is who has this sword called the Gravekeeper, and he basically uh, this his sword is actually based on a fairy tale called The Companion by, I think it was Hans Christian and Hans Christian Anderson tale, but it's very underrated, I think, and not a lot of people actually know it. So it's very much based on, on that fairy tale. And what he does is he can actually take the minions of the Snow Queen, who is the villain in the story, and he sort of mind controls her shadow minions and is able to turn them against her, which I think was a pretty sort of a a bit of a game changer that I wanted to add to the story. Then we have Loki, who has the Jing Bang, which is a Chinese staff. Um, If people are familiar with Journey to the West, this Chinese legend, the staff actually plays a very important part in there, in, in, in the story, which was wielded by Son Goku, or the Monkey King. And and San, well, the, the name of the, the, the Chinese sort of monkey-like character in that is called San Wukong. Mm-hmm. And then we have West, who is basically the shapeshifter who can transform into different kinds of animals, which I, I sort of tried to use a, 
I tried to use it as a homage to uh, the Aesop's, Aesop's fables, where most of the characters are actually animals. So that's how I wanted to play it. And then we have Ken, who is basically wielding two legendary swords. They're also in Japanese mythology. Uh, he basically wields two legendary swords forged by these legendary Japanese swordsmen in Japanese history. And one can basically cut through anything that isn't alive, and the other one pretty much turns people insane if they use it for evil. So rounding rounding it all up, basically the cast of characters that you will meet in the story, at the and, start of the story at least. And their crazy weapons. Well, back to the narrator, Tala. She uses the Filipino martial art Arnis, and we've talked about how she can block spells. But compared with all his colorful characters like Wes, who's constantly changing into a rat or a bear or Cole, whose skies is made out of order blood, Tala seems a little low-key. So does she have a special destiny that's going to be revealed? Well, that that is very much in spoiler territory, but you could if, hint. if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, a part of the legend of, well, basically my story is about this kingdom of Avalon who has been destroyed by the Snow Queen, and Alex, who was the prince of that kingdom, has been forced into hiding just mm-hmm. because just so the Snow Queen doesn't find him and he, and so that she doesn't find the Firebird, which she believes is the key to a lot of the magic in his kingdom. So that has been his whole life, trying to stay alive long enough to find the Firebird on his own. And I, I like, in, in a lot of ways, when you talk about Tala and when you talk about being Filipino, a lot of Filipinos don't actually want to stand out. Like, it might be, you know, because we're Asian and that sort of the culture that we grew up with, but we tend to just put our heads down and try to go about our day, do the things that we like without necessarily standing out. And we get, there's, there's a sort of embarrassment when it comes to people looking at us and trying to, you know, it, it's, it's not really Asian culture to be standing out mm-hmm. anyway. So, I mean, with, with, with that in mind, Tala's sort of magic when it comes to, I mean, in a world full of magic, being able to negate magic sort of stands out because you can get in trouble for it. And that's what, so that's what she's been trying to do. Her attitude her whole life has been put your head down, keep out of trouble, don't tell anyone about what you can do because if people find out what you can do, you could, I mean, things could get worse for you. So that the whole magic of her with with the agimat is basically my way of sh- sort of showcasing Filipino personalities as well. Like this is what we do. Like we do our best, but we don't want to stand out. We try to do what we think is the best thing for us and the best thing for other people because we're very community oriented as well. But in the end, it's not necessarily something that, you know, we, we don't want to be leaders. We just want to have our own little corner of the world and live well within it. So that's her attitude, and that's how it reflects in her magic. So we talked about Tala being part of being Filipino, 
and Filipino people being very community-minded. So there's actually not just Hala's family, but another Filipino community in the neighborhood that's dedicated to protecting Prince Alex until he can save his country of Avalon. So tell us a bit about the, I hope I say this right, Katipuneros and yes, what the they use to fight. How do they okay. fight? Okay, well, here's here's another thing about Filipinos. Like, we are like a nation of immigrants because, you know, in the Philippines, there's not a lot of jobs to go around and what what jobs there are aren't always enough to pay the bills and support families. So we're sort of, we sort of became known for like going out to other countries and then working there and then sending as much money as we can back home. And in order to do that, like to be strangers in a very strange place, we got very, very good at finding other Filipinos within the community. Because once Filipinos find out, hey, you're living, you're, you just moved here, you're living in my area, hey, come come on over, we'll do our best to help you out. So that's sort of the Filipino way. It's called Bayanihan. That sort of culture where you help each other rise rise up, like pull, pull, pull a fellow Filipino up the ladder with you. That's sort of a very, very cultural thing with us. And when it comes to the Katipuneros, the Katipuneros actually, I based that on historical heroes. Um, in, in, in Filipino history, there is this revolutionary group called the Katipuneros. And they were actually the ones who first rose and tried to push back against the Spaniards who were colonizing the, the Philippines for close to over 300 years. And then after them, the American forces who came over here and tried to and tried to do the same, and uh, that was sort of that sort of resistance I had in mind when I was trying to come up with a group of Filipinos who were also trying to be the modern resistance. And Katipuneros were the first thing that came that I thought about, who very very closely aligned with, you know, um, Lola Urduha and her her band of merry men and women. And they share the same goals as those historical figures. So I thought, why not, you know, do homage to them and name them Katipuneros as well. So basically, they share the same goals, the historical idea of Katipuneros and the the Katipuneros as I wrote them in the book, in that Filipinos look out for each other within a community. That's that's the that's that's the Filipino way. So. Once they know, hey, we we know you're Filipino, we know you're having a hard time, we're going to do all we can to help you. And it doesn't always just apply to Filipinos. Like, if we consider you a friend, we welcome you to the fold, you're like an honorary Filipino, and that's exactly what they did with Alex. So, you know, they sort of took him under his wing, and they're like, okay, we're going to feed you, we're going to mother you, we're going to protect you. And you're going to be the family that you never had. And again, that's the, that's a very Filipino thing to do. So the Katipineros, they're the tios and titos. Uh, they seem elderly. They fight with fans, by the way, for those of you who are wondering. <laughs> and uh, so we've got people who are presumably rather old. And then we've got very young people, and they're the ones taking the most active roles. 
Did you purposely set out to develop that when you were writing? I think that was more fleshed out when I went, went into edits of the book. Because when I when I first started fleshing out the story, it was actually a scene. Like it was in no shape for me to write yet, but the 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 ideas of it were already there and I was sort of coming up with characters, I was coming up with settings. But the story wasn't fully fleshed out until I really started uh, devoting more time to actually writing and trying to publish this book. This was actually the first book that I've ever completed. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when you first start, you want the teens to be the heroes. Because when I was when I started writing that, I was a young adult as well. But by the time I started, you know, putting the finishing as on it, I am closer to my mom's age than I ever was to being that that teenager when I first started out. So, and, and, you know, I guess that's sort of reflected in the final draft of the story where I think, you know, I know that young adult books are all about, hey, teenagers saving the world, the adults are useless, <laughs> it's always up to the teens, and I sort of wanted to push back against that also being as a, you know, someone who is also a, a parent themselves, that it can't always fall on the teens. There should be some accountability. There should be some responsibility when it comes to the adults as well. And that's not usually shown in a lot of YA books. I figured that I think this would be a really good opportunity to showcase how um, adults can still be a integral part of the story even when the teenagers remain in the limelight. Yeah, I think you did that, definitely. And Tala's parents Mm -hmm. are also uh, part of the story. Uh, I just didn't have room to get into that with the questions, but her mother and father definitely continue to have an influence throughout the book. They don't just disappear off the stage like in a lot of YA books. (laughs) So you have... uh, I mean, it's you know, Filipino family, again, like, everybody meddles in everybody's business. <laughs> Once they consider your family, you are you you are also susceptible to their meddling and their good intentions, no matter how badly it might turn out for you. Because, again, everybody's concerned, everybody's worried, and that's how they show their love. They show their love through food. Filipinos show their love through food and being very nosy. Mm-hmm. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, you have three characters that aren't heterosexual, and each of them has dealt, or in the case of one person, probably not dealt with their sexuality in different ways. Uh, There is a big difference, though not phonetically, interestingly enough, between Loki, who's binary, who's non-binary, and then Lockley, Zoe's fiancé, who uh, I would assume is in denial. Uh, what could explain that difference? I have some some idea myself, but I want to hear your ideas since you created them. <laughs> well, when, when it 
when it came to Loki, it came, both of them, for the most part, it was very, I felt it was very natural for me to add, uh, to add them that way because with Loki in particular, uh, they're also non-binary and I am also non-binary. So it was, it, like, they were actually the, the first person that I tried to write as a non-binary character if fully on the page, like, written specifically on the page that they're a non-binary character. And to do that, I had to sort of look inside myself and try to figure out what are the little subtle things that make somebody non-binary and what can I do to make them more apparent on the page. And that's what I did. It was was really something that I thought too much about. It was just something that when I was when I was writing Loki, I would just think, well, what would I do in their place? How would I react in their place? What is what kind of personality would they have that sort of closely aligns to what I would also do? And then I just put that down naturally. And when with Loxley in particular, Tristan Loxley at this point isn't very sort of integral to the story because you don't actually meet him in the first book or you will be meeting him in succeeding books because he's there to stir up trouble between Zoe and Alex who mm-hmm. Alex who is also gay um with with Tristan Loxley actually I there's there's this sort of hint that he's not actually out yet and so what I that, that was sort of the that was the thing that I used in my own personal life as well. Like the, the, this, this fear of coming out and not really sure how they would be, how they would be treated once they are out in public. Like in the Philippines, like I said, we're very, we're a big community. We're very happy, but we, we're not always, we're not always kind to gay people here in the Philippines in that we don't even have any laws that would help support gay people here. Although we're sort of, we sort of give out that we're culturally accepting of gay people, but we're not actually proving it on paper in any laws or in any regulations here, which kind of sucks. And there's also that fear of, you know, Filipino families, Filipino parents want kids. They want, you know, grandkids, people to... Like like little kids that they can play with, and when you're gay, that's sort of that that deal breaker where they're not really angry at you because of your lifestyle, but they're angry at you because you can't you can't or won't supply them with with grandkids, which is a lot, which is a very uh, painful sort of issue sometimes among Filipino families who want big families and you know as many grandkids as they as you can possibly provide them so that has that that's that sort of idea of him being implied as not yet out that was the thing that I sort of t- took to heart and tried to integrate into the book and in book two and book three you're going to see him sort of struggle with that and try to come to terms with that and try to decide which is more important his parents who have so much expectation from him or what he actually wants to do in life, who he wants to choose to be with. And yeah, it's it's an it's an issue I feel very closely very closely for. 
Well, exactly. Loki was brought up by two men, so I assume they didn't yeah. have any problem <laughs> with him, with them being non-binary because they themselves were not in traditional sexual roles. But Loxley's parents have a lot of expectations of him, as you pointed out. So that's also what I thought when I was reading it. Um, so Prince Alex, I mean, it's, it's a it's a nice contrast. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a nice contrast between uh, somebody who was brought up and accepted for who they were, and someone who might not necessarily be. Exactly, and Loki that always, might not enjoy the same thing. Yes, Loki always speaks very lovingly of his fathers, and they seem to have taught him many things, many practical skills as well. So Prince Alex, he is grumpy. Maybe because he's missing Loxley. <laughs> and sometimes he's very haughty, though to be fair, he's under a lot of pressure. However, so far, he doesn't seem wicked. So uh, can you shed some light on the inscription, which is on your book? First, do no harm. King though you may be, thy divine right to magic is no cause to be as wicked as you wish. Oh okay. Well, when when I wrote when I wrote that inscription, it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to sermon the like the current king over. Hey, you you did you you've done bad things in the past. That's why here is your warning not to be as wicked as you wish. But it was more of it was more of like a, a warning to them that that you understand that you have this responsibility you have this power over magic you have power over this spell text that not a lot of people have access to and you've seen for yourself what it can do to the world like in in, in alex's case it it destroyed his kingdom because the snow queen was responsible for the one for for the actual destruction of the kingdom but what actually was might be a, just as worse was the other kingdoms and the other countries sort of turning a blind eye to what the Snow Queen was doing mm -hmm. and basically leaving them defenseless and leaving Alex to, you know, leaving Alex alone with no support. And the, the, the reason was because a lot of those kingdoms and a lot of those countries wanted Avalon's spell tech. And with Avalon gone, they're free not to, you know, they're, they're free to ignore any patents and just grab those technology for themselves, which is why magic had been flourishing over the last few years while Avalon was, was um, covered in ice. So that was the sort, that, that's also a huge re reason why Alex grew, sort of grew up being shunted from place to place, being hidden and then spirited away to somewhere new so that he nobody would catch him. And he grew up that way, and he grew up very sort of bitter about, see, you know, seeing what everyone, like that, that every country saw what was happening to his kingdom, and none of them gave a crap about it. So that explains a lot about his attitude and his sort of pessimism when it comes to thinking whether or not anybody was going to help him anyway, which is why he very much latched on to Hala and her family and the other Catacaneros because for the first time in his life, he felt like he was actually being treated as a person and not as a simple or as a figurehead of, uh, you know, a dead country. 
So he mentioned the Snow Queen and what she did to Avalon and how no uh, Prince Alex felt like he didn't get much support from other countries. They all turned a blind eye to the Snow Queen. She seems to be adept at pulling creatures into her orbit. Several people close to Tala turn out to either be or have been in the queen's inner circle. We won't say who. And there's also a surprise traitor at the end. So what is the appeal of the Snow Queen? What does she do to get people over to her side? I think it's not that, you know, we're, we're always used to villains just for the sake of being villains. Like one, like, villain caricatures where they're just evil for the sake of being evil and sometimes that works in the story but I also wanted to work a little a lot more layers when it came to the Snow Queen in that she's not necessarily evil because it's in her nature too but because she was evil due to some things that have happened in her life and in many ways her her actual past sort of reflects Alex when she was younger and when she was more vulnerable she suffered through the same thing where nobody gave a crap about her. And so she was forced to become bitter. She was forced to grow up cold and sort of use magic that she did have to seize more power, to get more influence, just so she couldn't be hurt again. And I don't want to spoil it a little too much, but she does have history with one of Tala's family. And that sort of also motivates her, her sort of revenge, we used to be allies, we used to be close, so why are you now working for the enemy against me? So there's a lot of that interplay between relationships involved in in a lot of the cast. And I didn't want her to be like a two-dimensional villain. I wanted some kind of sympathy for her, even if you don't necessarily agree with what she's doing. Like, yeah, she she's done unforgivable unforgivable things but in a way you sort of understand why she's doing it even though you think you wouldn't be doing that when you if you're in her shoes so that that whole complicated are you like is, is she really a villain or is she also like a victim of her own circumstances mm-hmm yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll be seeing more of her in the other books as well. <laughs> so your novel, you talked about different things that inspired you, uh, like the history of the Philippines and the Katipuneras. There are actually many diverse elements. To me, it was a little bit of a mashup done by a professional writer. We've got the Snow Queen, sounds like the Chronicles of Narnia. Then we have Avalon. The Knights of the Round Table, Alice in Wonderland, and that's just a few of the many, many different elements. Would it be fair to say you write very good fan fiction? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I'd like to quote Bane, for uh, paraphrase Bane from Batman a little bit with this one. Like, mm. is, is fan fiction your ally? <laughs> I was born in it, molded by it. I never saw heterosexual canon until I was until I was a young adult. And by then, I was writing AU coffee shops and slash fanfiction. So, 
yes, like I I sort of formulated the very beginnings of Wicked as You Wish when I was at the peak of my fan fiction writing. Like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna tell anybody what my name my username was back in, you know, fanfiction.net and also archive of our own because <laughs> I, I think I tried I tried my best to wipe out all the accounts that they had there. But oh. I was I, I'd like to think that I was pretty popular because I've been you know, the the little adrenaline boosts when you get you get when you're writing something that you really love, like mm-hmm. fandoms that you really love and um the little serotonin boost as well when you win like little awards by by people who sort of aggregate certain fandoms and you think, hey, maybe one day I could actually turn this into something that I could make a living out of. And it's it's not a coincidence that when I started for, when I started writing Wicked as You Wish, it was also when I was so engrossed with fan fiction as well. Like the, the possibilities of, you know, taking characters that you love and sort of molding them into how you hope the the canon should have been or you or kind of that you wanted it to be. You you evolve them further because you can't you don't want to let go of them so they're like your friends. So take heart, yeah, like, fan like fiction writers. Or, or I don't want this ending. Let me write something that I think is better. Or and you know I I learned a lot of character crafting that way, and I guess the the, the whole cast of Wicked as You Wish was the result of that. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you working on now? Are you working on a follow-up novel? Um, well, I've actually finished. I finished a draft of Wicked as You Wish three, which is the final book in the series. Oh, okay. Wicked as You Wish two has already been turned over to my editor and. You know, bearing a few more edits, but a little bit more proofreading, it should be ready by next year. I think the target date was May 2022. And also, I, I started jumping out of the YA market and started writing for the adult market because um, also in two, also in 2022, I, in September, um, Fall at the fall at least. I'm not sure if it's September. Uh, I will be releasing a sort of vamp- gothic vampire fantasy series. That sort of I, I like. I like to call it gay Castlevania. <laughs> okay. And it's it basically for it's it's not YA anymore. I I I hope they don't make they they don't nobody markets it or calls it YA because of the themes within mm-hmm. it. So you have but some sex in it and adult stuff. <laughs> basically, every time someone asks me what the summary of it is, I basically just say a vampire com- a vampire couple finds a vampire hunter in the trash and takes him in. Hmm, so okay. that that is the whole gist of, and they fight. <laughs> you know, they, they fight bad vampires along the way. So that's bas- that's basically how it goes. Again, mm-hmm. it's a it's a very archival AO3 like category or or a. Uh, uh, trope and I, I like it that way um it was supposed to be 2023 like I, I it was supposed to be released spring 2023 but because of um a lot of printing issues like there's there's a 
paper shortage, I think, and they were able to move it a little bit earlier. So instead of spring 2023, it's going to be fall 2022. Well, how do people keep up with you to find out your new releases and just what you're up to otherwise and your thoughts on things? What's the best way to find you? Uh, I actually have like a contact form on my webpage and I always encourage people to, you know, if you have any questions about uh, about publishing or writing in general, because I know I'm I'm a bit of an oddball being like living in the Philippines and for some reason being able to be published in the United States. And a lot of people have questions who are, you know, not necessarily American citizens as well, but wanted to know how 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 I was able to do that. I get a lot of emails every day about that. So uh, I have a contact form in my webpage, but otherwise I am on Instagram and I am on TikTok. And, so your webpage uh, I, I have is... a Facebook page. Your web page yeah. is Rinchepeco? I have a Facebook page. Yes, yes, Rinchepeco.com. Okay. okay. And I have, um, I think I have a Facebook page, but a friend is actually running it because I don't have a Facebook account of my own. But if you have any questions there, feel free to ask and she'll, she'll like port them over my way. Okay, so you guys heard Rin. They're happy to help you in the Filipino tradition of taking someone else up along the way. But don't write them a hundred questions, just just one or two. So thanks so much for taking time out for us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for listening to me today on the New Books Network in Fantasy. I've been talking to Rin Chapeco about their new novel, Wicked As You Wish. Join me in January when I interview Malaysian author Su Lin Tan about our debut novel, Daughter of the Moon Goddess, which was inspired by Asian mythology. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more, at Gabrielle Author.